Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. everybody and welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. Today we have a very unique guest. Today we are interviewing Tally Melnick, a fitness trainer, but she is also an actor, writer, and producer. Tally reached out to us because she is creating a film called Careful, and that's C-A-R-E-F-U-L-L, which is about crisis pregnancy centers. We'll let Tally talk a bit more about what those centers are, but for those who might not be as familiar with what those are, briefly they are quote-unquote clinics, which are typically religious-based that go under the guise as health clinics and offer free pregnancy testing and ultrasounds with the intent to motivate pregnant people into not having an abortion. In talking with Tally, she did some interesting research to prepare for writing the script for her film that we think would be helpful to our listeners because your patients might also be seeking these clinics out or have been seen at these clinics. So we thought it would be good to inform providers and women about these clinics and what goes on in them so that everyone can be more informed and more prepared. Hi, Tally. We are so happy to have you with us today. We like to ask our guests to share a little background about themselves. So can you give our listeners a brief background about who you are um, and your education and experience and where you're from? Of course. My name is Tally Melnick. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I'm an actor, writer, independent filmmaker, theater artist, a feminist, a fitness professional and a movement specialist. I have a BFA in drama from the University of Calgary and an MFA in acting from Binghamton University, which brought me to New York City, where I've been living for almost 25 years now. Uh, I work in women's health and fitness and have been doing that since 2002. And I'm certified with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, Power Pilates, Mad Dog Athletics, The Melt Method, and the American Safety and Health Institute. Great. So... Another question we always like to ask our guests is what informs your perspective? So in other words, why do you do what you do or what is most valuable to you? Uh, My love and passion is really truly in helping women achieve their best selves, whether that's through movement and fitness or through the power of story. Uh, As a fitness professional and as an artist, um, I build relationships and I work with many, many different kinds of women. When I work one-on-one as a personal trainer, uh, I approach each individual from a holistic perspective. She's more than just a body to me. And it's my job to learn uh, as much about who she is as I can. Uh, And the relationship that we create together means absolutely everything to me. Uh, Women confide in me the same way they confide in their hairdresser or their healthcare provider. And the fitness studio is uh, absolutely a safe place for women to do that. And so ultimately, my world kind of intersect in a sense, right? So the work I do in fitness and the relationships I build absolutely inform the work I do as a storyteller and vice versa. And uh, it's kind of a unique intersection of life and art, basically. 
Well, that's great. You, Even though you have a diff- very different background as far as your artistic self, mm-hmm. um, I think that, the, you know, that's definitely a perspective that we share. Oh, um, yes, absolutely. Our listeners hopefully do, too. All right. So like we said, we're going to discuss Tally's work specifically around her experience with starting and producing her film called Careful. So Tally, kind of big question. Can you share your experience on how you decided to start writing and producing the film? The idea to write an abortion story set in a crisis pregnancy center had been percolating with me for a while, and it really started to get going with all the abortion bans and restrictions that um, I started to see, along with everybody else, sweep across the country. And I felt it was definitely time to dive into something that would not only expose what pregnant people are told inside a crisis pregnancy center, um, but more importantly, create a piece to normalize instead of criminalizing abortion. So, and also to just find out more for myself and for my clients, what goes on inside something like that. So the best way for me to, to always go at things is um, from, from an artistic perspective and get curious and start the research from that sort of place. Uh, And so, yeah, so it was really all about just wanting to address abortion because we don't see a lot of abortion stories out there and more specifically an abortion story set in a crisis pregnancy center. So when we spoke on our call, our screener phone call, you told us about research that you did when you were writing the script for this film. Could you just kind of talk about just generally what you learned about these crisis pregnancy centers? So ultimately, crisis pregnancy centers are also known as fake clinics or just pregnancy centers. They have been sort of evolving in how they name themselves. And there's about 4,000 of them now in the United States and only 780, according to ExposedFakeClinics.com, 780 actual legitimate abortion care providers. So there's quite a disparity. That's, you know, those, those numbers are, are, are something to sort of think about for sure. So five times as many CPCs in this country receive federal and state funding, and yet abortion facilities that do provide actual abortion care receive nothing. They receive zero. They are usually next door, across the street, two floors up, two floors down if they're in the same building as say, a Planned Parenthood or an, another woman's health care center that does indeed provide abortion care. And that's on purpose. There are really one true mission is to intercept those that are pregnant and prevent them from, from seeking abortion care. That's really what they do. That's all they do. They say that they provide, you know, ultrasound tests and pregnancy tests and, you know, so on and so forth. But it's just all part of the tactic to actually get a woman inside their their counseling center because that's what they feel that they're doing is they counsel women out of abortion. So it was kind of of shocking to find out the numbers specifically. And those numbers are growing. 4,000 to 780 is not good for us, you know, is not good for women that are just simply trying to manage their reproductive rights, basically. Yes. So in that phone call, you had also mentioned that you actually went to a couple of centers undercover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience like there? And I also think it would be important to maybe give a little backstory of the character or the person that you presented yourself as. Sure. Absolutely. Because I'm 
I'm a woman in my 50s, so I'm certainly beyond reproductive age. You know, I couldn't just walk in and say, hey, I'm pregnant and I need counseling. And so I, as an actor, was able to create a a character a little bit different than what they would normally see. So I I created a character, a woman, whose only daughter, she just learns she's pregnant and wants to terminate the pregnancy. So I went in under the guise of a woman just wanting to be a grandma, and I didn't know what to tell my daughter. And just I needed someone to tell me what, what, what to say to her. And they were very forthcoming with, with all that information. I had a microphone on. You know, I'm not a journalist, so by all means, I don't have to abide by journalistic standards. As, a, as an artist, it's, it's a little bit different. And I was really going in with good intentions, not, not to fool or lie, but really just to seek accurate information in terms of what, what they're telling people, what they're telling women and, and anybody who ends up in, in such a place who's seeking an abortion. I really wanted to find out firsthand, first of all, what, what it looks like on the inside. So as a writer that I could write that, uh, as an actor, you know, looking for information and character research for the character to play, but more importantly for the information itself that they're that they're telling women and, and anybody who ends up there seeking, seeking abortion care. And so I, I actually got a lot of information. I got probably 52 minutes of information and, and material from a, a place that I went into in upstate New York. And um, I went at two times to a place in Brooklyn, a pregnancy center in downtown Brooklyn. Um, and they were a little bit different, but not really. They were pretty much the same. So can you kind of give a little bit more details about that? So what did the clinics look like and what were the staff like and, you know, and also what kind of information did they give you? The the place that I went to um, in upstate New York was very informal. It was more of an office, not really a, a clinic of any kind. They were literally across the street from Planned Parenthood. I had called in advance so that, you know, they certainly knew that I was coming and, you know, I, making sure that they knew who I was as this character. The women, neither one of them, I saw a woman that was answering phones at the, the front of the sort of the office and, and the woman that met with me was an older woman who took me into the back. It was more like a little kitchen area where we sat down and she counseled me and she really she brought out pamphlets information basically showing the different stages of of pregnancy at no time did they ever refer to anything as a fetus or an embryo it was always a baby and you know right off the bat that was uh, you know something that I I noticed because ultimately it's not really a baby (laughs) in terms of in terms of what I know with my own biology and, and information that, you know, I know a woman's body pretty good. But yes, absolutely, it's, it's not a baby. And they, they're really, they were, they were lovely people. That's the one thing I do want to get across is that they really, I wasn't treated badly or, or felt uncomfortable. I was made to feel very, very comfortable. And these people really believe that they're, the information that they are sharing is, accurate 
and informative and necessary when indeed it's not accurate information. It's a lot of times, from what I've read, with my own experience, not so much so, but they're lies. They're basically telling people lies about their own body when it comes right down to it. And when it comes to things like the the chances of breast cancer from having a first-time abortion, the possibility of post-abortion stress, disorder, I hadn't heard that one before, goes up exponentially with a first-time abortion. I've never, in my readings or studies about a woman's body and about abortion care, have ever been told that by an actual doctor. But by these people, they really do believe that, you know, a woman is, is has a greater chance of breast cancer, PTSD, chances of having a healthy pregnancy after you've had an abortion. You're at risk for, for, for that kind of thing. So ultimately, you know, this information is, is really more to scare than it is to inform, in my humble opinion. And it works. It's a numbers game. If they can get as many women as they can into these places or people into these places, they're really just all about saving as many unborn babies as they possibly can. So yes, the information, once again, whether it's in a pamphlet or whether it was told to me sitting across the table, was was kind of shocking just in terms of breast cancer and post-abortion stress disorder. And, and they really believe this stuff. They really actually believe what they're telling me and other women out there. Mm-hmm. So having gone in as this mother of a daughter who is pregnant and everything, what are some other things that they specifically said to you that you should say to your daughter? The one thing that sort of stands out in my mind is that abortion is, is murder, I was supposed to tell my daughter. And again, just the idea that she is, it doesn't matter about what she wants anymore because the baby's here, whether she's ready or not, which I found kind of shocking. And that ultimately she has to put her own selfish needs aside and and start really thinking about this baby uh, and put the baby first. Never mind what her hopes or dreams or desires or her plans for herself might be as a as a young woman. It, it, it was really all about she no longer is important, that, that she needs to focus on this baby because it's happening and, it, and it's too late. That she ultimately, she, she really needs to just step up. And that's pretty much what they were, both places were telling me to, to really just sit down with my daughter and, and make her realize that, that the pregnancy is the most important thing at this point. And that if she was, how is she going to feel killing that killing that baby and how mm. how is how am i going to feel as her mother not wanting that to happen how 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 am i going to feel with her killing my grandchild so I, probably, I thought it was pretty aggressive pretty aggressive language yeah, yeah. did and it, was this kind of the message that you got at both of these places in the more rural area and the more urban area or more in the rural area than in brooklyn Mm-hmm. In Brooklyn, there wasn't an actual registered nurse, or so she said, uh, uh, that I spoke with. The manager of the facility was not there the day that I that I was able to go in. She was actually, interestingly, at the March for Life that was in um, mm-hmm. uh, Washington. So that was back in January. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know if my daughter was to come into 
their particular center in Brooklyn, what would they be doing with her? Because they actually had me in a waiting room, and I could see that there was a door to a room in behind. And they basically, this, this particular nurse told me that they take their clients into a room and they will show them what an abortion looks like. So okay. I'm assuming they will take them in and show them a video or bring out all the graphic information. And again, scare tactics, right? Uh, yeah. Aggressive kinds of scare tactics. And then they pray. Nothing against that, but by all means, it's very rare that I've gone into a, a, a doctor's office and, and had my doctor pray with me. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the place that I would expect that, but by all means, in both places, that was part of that was part of the deal. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did they ask your permission to do that, or the place up in upstate New York? I don't really want to say the name of the place. No, I, that's I feel fine. A little yeah. bit, I feel yeah. a little, you know, like I'm. I want to respect who they are. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, this particular place, she literally reached across the table and took my hands oh. and said, "Let's pray now." And so that was the end. That's how she closes the counseling session because that's. Once again, that's what they call this kind of work is they're, they're counseling, they're counseling women and they're counseling people out of abortion and into other, other options, right? And so they, they closed the, or she closed the counseling session. And I, and that's the same as what, what happened in Brooklyn. That's what they say. The, the registered nurse told me that they ultimately do at the end of their sessions is that they pray at the end of every session. So they're very, they're faith-based organizations more than anything else. And, and I get that, but it's really kind of a sneaky, insidious way of, of imposing morals onto something that should not have that. And that's just me and my, my opinion at this point. But, but there's a place for health care <laughs> and a place for faith, <laughs> you right. know. Uh, and when it comes to abortion, it, it's, it's gotten real Slippery, blurry, (laughs) murky, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm -hmm. Did either of the facilities discuss support? Okay, so like say for example, this woman comes in, do they talk about like how they would help her beyond just this counseling? Did they talk like, oh, if your daughter comes in, we will give her these things or we will do these things for her post-delivery? For the most part, Abortion being their number one sort of focus. Abortion, no. Adoption, yes. So they will kind of steer you in the direction of adoption. Or I don't really believe that any of these places are able to provide the the support and resources beyond diapers or beyond certain material things, but not really when it comes right down to it. So they're not, I don't have kids of my own, and I know that you are both mothers. You need more than diapers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very much so. You need more than a couple of cans of formula you know (laughs) and it seems to me that that's what they're setting that that's what that's what they're setting women on their way with when I was at the the place in upstate New York people were coming in from the community looking for diapers looking they were handing out what else were they handing out that particular day bagels I think was what it was Mm. so very bizarre kinds of things but definitely not real support and it seems to me that that's where things kind of stop in this country mm-hmm. um, with this whole in, in the abortion landscape is that, you know, take away access, take restrict, put bans on so on and so forth and save babies. But once those babies are born, they're providing really nothing when it comes right down to it. So mm-hmm. 
I had a question, too, about you mentioned earlier that the Brooklyn Clinic, um, you went two times to that mm-hmm. one. Why did you go twice or how did that occur? It was really interesting the way that that particular place was set up. I was a, I had no idea what to expect going into the building. Interestingly, the fake clinic is on one floor. Planned Parenthood is three floors down. When you get off the elevator on the floor that Planned Parenthood is on, you immediately go through a metal detector. When you get off the floor where the clinic is on, it's just a regular office corridor or hall or whatever, a door that is locked, so I had to ring the doorbell. And then to go in, I was in a a waiting room that had comfy couches, nice art on the wall, but there was no reception desk, there was nothing else other than a door. And out the door came a receptionist, and she right away asked if I had an appointment, and I said I didn't. And she said, well, I can I can let you speak with somebody. So I gave her my little spiel as to who I was and about my daughter and whatnot. And she says, well, I can let you speak with my manager, but she's with somebody at the moment. Can you wait? And uh, that particular day, I wasn't able to wait. So I made an appointment to come back the following week. And once again, when I came back, the manager wasn't there. She, they obviously were not aware of the fact that or had forgotten that it was the day of the March for Life and that she was on her way down to to Washington. So I spoke with the nurse instead that day. So that's really why is because I was I didn't have an appointment the first time and I didn't I didn't really have a lot of time to to sit around and wait. So I thought, let me just come back next week. Hence why the second visit. Yeah, I was just wondering, I know, so I've done a little bit of volunteer work um, for an organization called Exposed Fake Clinics. Yeah. And so I know that one of, they talk about one of the tactics that these clinics use is stalling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you not being the pregnant person, I didn't know if that was what they were sort of trying to do. But oh, right. I know that they sometimes will try to reschedule appointments or make have women justify, for whatever reason, women to come back repeatedly. So, um, you know, they're kind of delaying that decision mm-hmm. um, in hopes that maybe at some point it's too late or they change their mind or that kind of thing. So that's kind of why I asked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've certainly heard that as well and read that, that ultimately the more that they can push you away from any kind of actual commitment or making an appointment or saying, telling you you have lots of time to to think about this or whatever, those are definitely tactics as well so that you get pushed beyond what would be, I guess, legal Mm -hmm. in, in many ways to seek an abortion in that first trimester. If they can get you into the second trimester or whatever, then it's going to make sure that, you know, you're not going to get one. So from your perspective, what was the most concerning to you about these crisis pregnancy centers? I think a lot of the information, once again, that they that they call accurate counseling, whatever you, they're lies. <laughs> it's not yeah. accurate. They're, what they're telling um, you about a woman's body is not accurate. What, what they're telling you about, you know, like the whole idea that, I mean, with these part of the bands that the baby has a heartbeat at three weeks at 21 days, which I mean, you're, you're both nurses. That's, that's not accurate. If I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken to say that, you know, the risk of breast cancer goes up exponentially. The idea that you may never carry a healthy mm-hmm. pregnancy after an abortion, the trauma that you're going to experience. One of the things that they like to say is like, how are you going to feel on your due date? knowing you killed your baby. 
kind of thing. So, I mean, very much shocking and of concern that, that this is indeed what they're telling people, that they're, they're scare tactics more than anything else. And they will use guilt. They will use shame. Not that these particular places, I mean, I thought it was pretty, pretty aggressive to tell my daughter that, you know, you're killing your baby and how, how, how's your mother going to feel? How's, you know, she wants to be a grandmother and how, how, how do you think you're making her feel kind of thing? was pretty aggressive Mm -hmm. um but then also you know just in general like reading what some of the other places will you know they'll they'll close their session by by handing you a a baby bib or a set of booties Mm. again ways to make you feel bad guilty feel shame for for what trying to even consider a decision like this or in, in you know entertaining a decision like this it's it's no holds barred with a lot of places around the country and i think 4000 places they're all you know they're all different but they're all the same really when it comes right mm-hmm. down to it so anything and everything is up for grabs if it's going to if it's going to save that baby you know yeah, now you know the as far as the sort of the lies or the um, dramatization or over exaggeration of the risks. They also, from what I've read, failed to really mention to compare those risks to what already occurs in childbirth. So, like for example, trauma. The the research shows that women generally, it's very, 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 very rare that women will experience any kind of psychological impact from an abortion if that's what they want. Whereas women who have children, you know, have trauma issues, I wouldn't say commonly, but way Mm -hmm. more commonly than associated with abortion or, you know, any kind of even physical risks, blood clots and Mm -hmm. damage to uterus and, and those death, infection, things like that. So they definitely withhold that part of the story as well. Oh, uh, yeah, it seems to be that, you know, I mean, I've worked with uh, many a client who are pre and postnatal as well. I have two sisters that have had kids. I have friends. Pregnancy is a risky thing. Pregnancy is, is can still be considered dangerous. Not that that should be a, a deterrent to anyone that wants to parent and have a baby, but but it, it seems to me that the they have things a little bit backwards, that they're playing down one thing, but certainly, like you say, dramatizing or playing up the big old risks of abortion. Mm-hmm. And yet I would say carrying a pregnancy to term. And then I, you know, I tell clients that it's, it's an athletic event. Mm-hmm. It is something, it is something that, you know, you want to be prepared for, for sure. Like an athletic event, you train for it, you prepare for it because you want it to go as smoothly and as it possibly can. But ultimately a, a, abortion, I mean, I've had one myself. I know I was 24 years old. I wasn't ready to have a baby or, or, or parent. I was in Canada and it was something that was between myself and my doctor and it was covered by my health care. And it was a, a day surgery. I was in and out in, I went in in the morning, I was out in the afternoon and, and I felt a hundred percent better. The minute I woke up and hopped up off that table was, was just a sense of relief and there was no trauma involved with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I can say from that point of view that my abortion experience is like many other women's abortion experience. Easy, normal, 
you know, you get on with your life. And and I was grateful for, for the, for the chance to actually just carry on, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the opportunities to go to school in the United States and, and to, to continue along the path that I have as both an artist and a fitness professional. I would probably still be in Calgary if I was forced to have that baby. And, you know, I don't know what my life would have been, but that's just one of many reasons why women seek abortion, along with many, many others. But for, in terms of my own experience, no trauma, no babies crying in the night, no nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why it's important to tell our stories and not just a fictionalized story, but our real stories. So, you know, that women understand that it's not a traumatic experience. It, it's normal. It's normalize it. Don't criminalize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think you're totally right that, you know, that's something that women, if they feel comfortable sharing is, is really great and powerful mm-hmm. to normalize it. I think like to me or to us, you know, our podcast is focused on proving communication for healthcare providers, improving how they communicate about reproductive and sexual health. Whereas these clinics do really the exact opposite of what you know, our Nicole and our, my motivation, our motivations are to, it's, it's kind of doing the exact opposite, deceiving, not being honest, shaming, judging. That's like exactly Mm -hmm. what we're trying to avoid women going through and they have a, a, you know, a quote unquote business doing that. So I think because of our podcast is focused on this patient provider communication, do you have any thoughts about that you could share with our listeners on how they might be able to talk to their patients about these centers or prevent them from going to them? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's really important to, um, to first and foremost inform your patients that these centers actually exist. Because a lot of folks still don't under, they, don't, they just don't know. They may have heard it, but for the most part, don't really realize that there are many of them out there and how, how close they are geographically to actual abortion care providers. So it's really easy to slip into the wrong place. And they do that on purpose, right? Yeah. So really important to inform your patients that, that these places exist and they exist for the purpose of deterring preventing, whatever you want to call it, you from seeking an abortion, that's what your decision is, right? And it doesn't it doesn't take much to actually just look up either through exposefakeclinics.com or I think uh, another good resource is reproaction.org, both places that provide uh, a database of where these clinics and who they are. So in other words, a, a database of, of, of clinics. Uh, you can put in your zip code and, and look it up. And I think it's really important to do that because it seems to be in, in this country, as healthcare providers, you may be telling your patients or, or referring them out and, and your, your patients don't understand that, that it's really important to make sure that where you're being referred to is be careful if it's in the same block or geographically located, make sure that you're going to that place and not something that looks or sounds like it. Because mm-hmm. they're very, they're very good with how they name things and how they, even how they advertise online. If you're looking to Google something, they will put themselves in the first couple of. If you put in abortion care and Google, and it will pop up. There, there, these clinics will pop up because they're designed to do so. So just to make sure that you're, you do your research and you do your homework before you actually set set out on an appointment somewhere. Yeah, and like I know, and I don't have an issue bringing up 
the one here. Um, I don't, I have never been to it, but we have one here in Iowa and they call themselves informed choices, which I just think is very misleading. So, um, and I think it is, it's like really, really close, like half a block from the Planned Parenthood, Mm -hmm. which actually our Planned Parenthood doesn't even provide abortions. But yeah, that's really very deceptive. I had, I remember when I first moved here um, and saw that, I was like, like the way that their ads were, it made it seem like they were an abortion provider. Mm-hmm. And I looked them up and they're totally not mm-hmm. a healthcare provider at all um, in one of these fake clinics. So I think even their ads can be really deceptive. Oh, and absolutely. They'll say like, oh, we offer free ultrasounds and free STI testing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just establishing that trust with your patient that if they do think that they have an STI or they think they're pregnant and they don't want to be, that even mm-hmm. if you don't provide an abortion or or those kinds of things or even ultrasounds, that you can help them get to those, you know, legitimate healthcare providers who can do those things. And just, you know, letting your women or your patients of any of any reproductive age, you know, just to know that um, that you can help them get the right resources. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, and like you said, Stephanie, that the, they name themselves. They name themselves in, in such a creative way, shall we yeah. say. <laughs> Hence why I, called, <laughs> why I called my film Careful, because uh, that's the name of the pregnancy center in the film is Careful Choices. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I definitely understand that, you know, it's, it's actually pretty easy to come up with a name for these places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've seen a lot of places changing their names, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, some of the work I was doing with Exposed Fake Clinics is like, because... Um, groups like theirs have caught on to the common names of some of these. They'll like change their name frequently or to something kind of generic like Umbria Health. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily one of them. I'm just coming up with names like just very generic names that just sound like a, you know, a regular private clinic um, that anybody would go to. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's scary in the fact that you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. And, you know, if you want to go to those places, I don't really necessarily know why you would, because even a regular healthcare provider is going to do these things and should mm-hmm. do it without, you know, so if you wanted to raise your child or put their your child up for adoption, your trusted healthcare provider can, can assist you with that or a social worker. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and also to provide the counseling services, yeah, you know, patient care that that is is just if if it means sitting down and just talking about what your choices are and where you are with you know your decision on things that you don't need to go to a pregnancy center to do that. Just mm-hmm. you know, by all means, speak with your speak with your regular healthcare provider that you know <laughs> and trust. Right. Right. You know, well, yeah. and and honestly, like. I think that there is a space for something like that. Like it would, you know, I get that, you know, even with doctors, like there's limited time, maybe they can't walk through all the options and they themselves aren't going to be able to connect, connect a woman like here is mm-hmm. the adoption service or, you know, this is where you need to go. So I think there is a space that could be a safe space for women to come and get counseling or to explore like what their options are, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they need to be given all of the options. It mm-hmm. needs to be unbiased. 
It needs to have evidence-based, you know, so it's not scaring women one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there is a space for that kind of counseling that could exist in one of those clinics. I'm not saying it does. I don't think it does. Or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I think it exists in Planned Parenthood. <laughs> yes, it, I, yeah, yeah. One, I think it Which does they exist. Which seem to be, yeah, under attack, right? Yeah, they are too. So, and it's hard because they do use deceptive names. And I could see myself, you know, if I were in a situation where I wasn't sure what I was going to do and I came across that said informed choices. It's like, well, gosh, I would love to have, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> some, informed in, some informed choice and, you know, help make a decision and see what my resources are, what's available to me. I could see that being very alluring or, you know, is, is something that I would want to look into. But again, the hard thing is, is because of the nature of these clinics, it is such a disservice to women. Oh, absolutely. And, and in some ways, it just breaks your heart that, that someone is giving misinformation and using scare tactics to persuade someone to make a decision that maybe doesn't align with their personal philosophies or their goals or isn't really taking into account the woman as a woman whole person. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's what's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, you know, counseling is is like you say there. It it, it uh, it's a very vulnerable time to find out you're pregnant, having mm-hmm. been there, and you know, not being in a relationship and not you know being young and not knowing where you're going with things. So it's a, it is a really vulnerable place to be. If it was a, an unplanned event, then they, I believe, really do indeed take advantage of that state that a woman is in and they just go in for the kill it's like predatory yeah really it just kind of has this predatory nature and yeah to expose a woman at her most vulnerable time i mean that's something so intimate and so personal and again to be given misinformation or not all the options it's just it's disheartening Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and um you know i think I'd, I don't know how much you know about this, Tali, because I am not entirely up on that either. But I know that there was there was one I think one of the issues that's more recent is like a Supreme Court decision that basically is allowing these clinics to continue to under like the religious Freedom, Freedom Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they can continue to, you know, spread this misinformation, you know, First Amendment right type thing. So that's difficult. But I also think that some of the changes with Title Ten funding, which yes. traditionally went to Planned Parenthood yes. um, and other clinics like Planned Parenthood are now able to go to these crisis pregnancy centers. That's what I read as well, Stephanie, is that the um, that money that was is now being funneled away from abortion care and Planned Parenthood and and women's health care centers to, there's, I believe, a specific, I want to call it a company, Abria Mm -hmm. in California. uh, Mm -hmm. And they're looking to grow their numbers well into the hundreds over the next couple of years. So Mm -hmm. there's a big plan in place that that the fund, that's where the funding is going to go. And that's just one company there. And there are, there is a network out there. There's no question. And again, they, they're receiving federal funds. And they're receiving state funds as we speak, basically. And yet not one dime, not one dollar goes to actual abortion care in this country. Right. Well, and the interesting part of these clinics is they say, oh, we'll offer ultrasounds or STI checks. It's like, well, in the grand scheme, STI checks, I mean, that's great if you're doing that. 
But at the same time, that's not going to help you prevent a pregnancy. Mm-mm. Like, these clinics aren't also offering birth control counseling. No. Or mm-hmm. access to birth control, which would prevent pregnancies in in this first place. So, again, great you offer this service, but it has nothing to do with preventing a pregnancy in the in the biological grand scheme of things. But, yeah, it's just, it's kind of like misaligned values. Absolutely. And this kind of trapping you. It's it's very warped in the sense that, again, if it's really all about saving unborn babies, uh, there is so many other ways to do that as opposed to <laughs> dragging pregnant people into your facility and, and scaring them, shaming them, guilting them. There ha- it just seems to me that that is just such a, it's just the wrong way to go about things. And and the thing that really sort of stands out as well for me is the fact that it's no longer a woman to them. It's no right. longer a whole person to them. They are looking at one teeny tiny fetus, an embryo that is, that's their, you know, that's that's everything. That becomes their focal point more than mm-hmm. anything else. And, and too bad for the woman. There's no empathy. There's no care. There's no respect as to who she or who that person is and, you know, where they are with things. So that in and of itself, I have a hard time with that too. It will, yeah. And this is probably getting tangential, but really that also speaks to even post-baby, there's still this idea that the woman should just be all about her children. Mm-hmm. That's her life. That's who should be at the center. So it's like, even if the woman does go through with the pregnancy and have a kid, she's still not free from this idea that she is no longer herself. Mm-hmm. You are a mom above all else. And I think that this is also part of a shift that needs to happen in our culture and our language is that you're still a person and, you know, like you're still this individual who had these goals and everything. You just also happen to have kids. I had a quite an experience when I was looking into building my family and it was really hard for me to deal with a community of women telling me that I couldn't or that I shouldn't get pregnant and have kids while also getting my PhD. And I ma- I still did it. I still had my child and I still got my PhD and life went on. And, and again, like I still just feel this, I can't be a researcher or, or a neuroscientist or whatever and also have kids. Like, you know, there's just kind of, it's such a weird line to to manage as a woman to, to know that you also have these personal goals, but mm-hmm. also want to be a mom or not. And just the way that we talk about all of this. It, it, it's not just when you're pregnant. There's still adversity even after you have the yeah, child. There you go. <laughs> oh my goodness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So true. So kind of speaking of the cultural thing, you briefly mentioned about, you know, your experience in Canada having an abortion and how it was pretty simple and and quick and non-judgmental. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Like in Canada, how abortion is communicated versus in the U.S. What sort of stands out for me, because it's, um, I've lived in the United States, even though I'm dual citizen and, and Canadian and whatnot. So this is something that I find really interesting is the fact that there is all this, there's a war going on in the United States. That's the way I, <laughs> I look at it. It's an absolute war over reproductive rights and reproductive justice for women uh, and those who can become pregnant. Whereas in Canada, there's, a, there's no war going on. Abortion, is legal at all stages. It is covered by one's provincial health care insurance. 
It has been and was when I had an abortion back in 1984, and it is still the same today. We do indeed have a conservative right uh, or an evangelical right in, in Canada, but nothing like here in the United States. And the minute people start trying to criminalize abortion in Canada, they are shut down pretty quick. Uh, it's just a completely different landscape. Whereas here in the U.S., that's, it's so startling to see, just in this year alone, how many bans and restrictions have swept across the country and continue to do so. And that it's such a political game at this point. And people have died in this country. Doctors have died in this country. Doctors mm -hmm. are threatened every day that provide abortion care in this country. We don't see that in Canada for perhaps a couple of different reasons, but mostly because abortion is is not looked at the same as it is here in the United States. It's again, there's it's not a war. It's not you know um, pro life and pro choice if you want to look at it sort of in a linear perspective. There are people that that you know have their their opinion about it all, but for the most part they leave it alone. It is part of reproductive health care and they leave it at that, you know. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions or resources for our listeners um, that they could check out should they want to learn more about crisis pregnancy centers or in advocating against them? Absolutely. As Stephanie mentioned, she worked with Exposed Fake Clinics. Uh, and so they have a really really terrific website that you can go to exposefakeclinic.com pardon me exposefakeclinics.com and you can uh, you know just cruise around the website they have a lot of resources uh, and if you're looking to get involved locally they can point you in the right direction uh, as well as reproaction.org also has a, a database of fake clinics that I think it's a good resource to be able to access if you're looking to do whatever kind of research or more importantly, if you just want to make sure that you're not going to land in the wrong place. Uh, that's a good, it's an easy thing to do is just to get on, uh, you know, get online and just do a little research before you, before you go anywhere. And these are two really good places to do that. I just was thinking too, one thing that we didn't really talk about is that not only are these places, you know, setting up their clinics close to Planned Parenthoods, but they're also now, I think, having these mobile vans that they drive around. Yeah. And the, um, what's the John Oliver show on HBO? Um, and we can put that yeah, on our Facebook page. But yeah, he did a um, last week tonight is what it's called. Yeah, he did a little segment about these clinics and talked about the vans. So <laughs> and they're very, very nice. I think RVs that are like half, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. They're very fancy and they they'll drive around in urban areas and and kind of, I don't know, lure people into them. I don't know. It sort of reminds me of like a dog catcher van. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the cartoons. That's sad. But, but I know, right? And at the same time, though, they, uh, to, you know, they're, they're receiving a lot of money to drive these, to, you know, to soup these vehicles up and drive them around, basically. Uh, and that money's coming from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, whether, it's, yeah. whether it's a religious organization or the government. It's shocking. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, Tally, so what is your hope, kind of coming back to your film, what is your hope for your film, Careful, once it's, once it's out and released? Well, as it turns out, this 
which started out to be a short film, has grown into more than that. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to say that it's it's also a one-act play because I'm both a theater artist and a, and a filmmaker. Uh, and I'm now currently writing the, the feature, so the, the larger story around the short film that I wrote. And the goal is always to entertain as a storyteller, but more importantly, you know, that this is a piece that has a broader more important message and that ultimately this it now becomes a, a way to to take a piece of art and turn it into a little bit of activism in a sense right so to inform people to make people aware of what's going on and also to to connect us in a way you know to once again normalize abortion you know it's a, it'll be an abortion story we don't see a lot of stories uh, about specifically about abortion and set in a crisis pregnancy center and so just to find a way to ultimately through the power of story to inform and inspire more than anything else the other thing i want to talk about before we wrap up is during our screener phone call you had mentioned an artist who had made some art regarding your topic oh correct yes and we were very fortunate that you shared that with us, and I don't think we were able to get back to you this beautiful art. Mm-hmm. And and I know that we had talked about on the phone about this, and, and we can talk about more now. So why don't you share with us that story behind that art? So that's another thing that ultimately with this particular project that I have a, a real big desire is to connect us again, not just through the power of story, but through the power of art, and that is through abortion art. And so looking for visual artists, photographers, poets, other storytellers, anybody that has created a piece of art, whether it's a drawing, whether it's a photo, whether it's a poem or anything else, a piece of music around either their own abortion or someone close to them, because there's just something really wonderful about art. There's something really kind of magical that elevates, connects us in a, in a completely different way when you can experience somebody else's piece or somebody else's work of art uh, that can help you for whatever reason and whatever it is that you're going through around your abortion or just ultimately just to to connect us just because, again, just coming back to this idea that the more we share things, the more we talk about things, the more we experience each other's art and story and photos and poems and whatever else, that we can normalize this experience. Uh, and so, yes, I was making a call to artists and I'm still doing so. So that is something that, by all means, just to get a, a wider reach out there to make this call to artists to share their work with me. So yes, so Chloe Anderson is an artist who I ultimately shared three pieces with you. And I know there's many more out there. I just have just looking for a way to tap into that. And so by all means, um, it's still out there, my call to artists. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can share that with our listeners. Because the other thing I wanted to add to that is you had shared it and the pieces were beautiful. So I know, Stephanie, we need to figure out a way to do this or at least find a way for our listeners who really do strive to create an inclusive environment in their clinics that this could be great art to hang in there. And I don't know, we'll have to to contact the artist or see if there's a way to, to share that with our listeners. Yeah, I like that. So, Telly, we would both like to thank you so much for your time and commitment to advancing sexual and reproductive health. Do you have any last thoughts that you would like to add before we end? You've asked some wonderful questions, and I've, I've had such a 
a really wonderful opportunity that you've given me to share my story and and the work that I do. And I guess going back to, again, just be careful, <laughs> be wary, <laughs> do your research. There are people that, that do want to, that ultimately, you know, are there to help you. And then there are people that are there that are not there to help you. And so just to really be careful in terms of doing your homework before you, before you seek abortion care. It's terrible to have to say that, but yeah. ultimately that's the reality of things right now. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. 